Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. All right, there we are. There we go. All right, we got to do all that over again. Let's roll the video. No, I'm just kidding. We are in a series that we're talking about the names of God, and we're diving into the names of God because I believe that as you get to know God's names, you get to know more of God himself because he's revealed himself through his names all throughout the scripture, and especially when you're going through a difficult time, sometimes it's hard to know what to pray. And I love the verse of the day today. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, a little side note, all of our notes today will be in the YouVersion Bible app on the live events page. And we're going to cover a lot of scripture today. We're going to dive into something that God's word uh, speaks a lot about so that we have a greater perspective of what I believe God wants to uh, cover with us today. But in the YouVersion Bible app, uh, they have a verse of the day. And today the verse was in Romans where it talks about the Holy Spirit of God will pray on our behalf with groanings that can't be understood in words. So when we're going through a difficult time and we don't know what to pray, isn't it a comfort to know that God himself is praying for us and he's praying the perfect prayer for us? Because God doesn't make mistakes. And so I love that. But sometimes you're just going through something hard and, you, and you're kind of at a loss for words. You don't know what to pray. God has revealed himself through his name so that you can pray according to his names. And we've talked about El Shaddai, the all-powerful one. How many of you have needed God to do a miracle in your life? And so you call on the God of power, you know, to, to do that miracle. We talked about Jehovah Jireh, God is the provider. How many of you have needed God to provide something in your life, right? So he's revealed these names to help us know what to pray, especially when we're going through a difficult time. Now, when you are given news, someone says, hey, I've got news for you, but I've got good news and I've got bad news. What would you rather have first, the good news or the bad news? Because no one wants to leave a conversation feeling like crap, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. And so it's the same with me. I love, you know, the good news, but I'll take the bad news before the good news because I just don't want to leave hanging my head. Well, beloved, today I have some news. I've got some good news. And I've got some bad news. And we're going to go with the bad news first. You need to brace yourself and buckle up because it's going to be a hard conversation. I've got to tell you something. You and I, here's the bad news, are nothing but no good, dirty, rotten sinners. Now, some of you are like, say what? My mother said I was amazing. I'm blessed, highly favored. You're no good. We all have a big problem. And theologians and Bible scholars have created a term for this. It's called total depravity. There is a, a man by the name of John Calvin. He uh, created a, a doctrinal view of the scripture called Calvinism. We're not a Calvinistic church, but you can glean some truth out of anything uh, that's good from the word of God. And there is a category he created called total depravity that describes the state of every human being. And the, the belief is stated simply like this, that since mankind didn't keep the commands of God, we by nature have sinned 
and therefore we have lost our original position of right standing with God. In layman's terms, we screwed up and we screwed everything up. That's basically what it means. And so we have this problem, and I'm going to go through these things with you. I've got 10 reasons, 10 things to cover with you to show you how bad sin really is for you and I. And we're going to go through this quickly. Again, if you're taking notes, you can write notes on the back of your worship guide, or you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. But here are, here are 10 things the Bible talks to us about, about this sinful condition, this total depravity that, that we have. Number one, Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. We'll look at it. Romans 3.23. Everyone. Someone say everyone. everyone. In case you were wondering who we're talking about. It's everyone. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now that word sin simply means to miss the mark. To fail expectations. To not measure up unsatisfactory performance. You know when you're a kid in school and you're too young to get an F, what they give you? A U. For unsatisfactory, right? You didn't measure up. You didn't make it. Well, all of us have U's on our record. None of us have arrived. None of us have done good enough. From the moment we are born, we fall short. Why? Because number two, sin is genetic. It's genetic. Romans 5.12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to who? To everyone. For everyone is sin. Now, Adam is the first dude. He's the first man. Matter of fact, the name Adam means mankind. So when God created mankind, he created Adam first. And Adam decided one day he had a better idea than God. And he chose to go that way. And he gave birth to sin. And that has been passed down to each one of us because we have all followed the path of our father, Adam. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, this is God talking to the nation of Israel. He's talking about worshiping false gods and leading them uh, into sin. He says, you must not bow down or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. God's saying, I won't tolerate your wandering heart to pursue other gods that will lead you into sin. I'm jealous for your heart. I want your heart, and I'm a monogamous God. I don't share with other people. I don't share with other gods. I want your heart. So I won't tolerate you wandering after other gods. He says, I lay the sins of the parents upon who? Upon their children. The entire family is affected to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. The curse of sin, the consequences of sin, are passed down the family line from fathers to children. Number three, our sinful state isn't partial, but it's total. This goes back to point number one. There aren't like a few bad apples in a bushel of good apples. We're all bad apples. All of us. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 11 says, As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking after God. The, that phrase righteous, that word righteous means just, upright, or innocent. So what the Bible's telling us is that none of us are innocent. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. Think about this. If no one's seeking after God, the only reason why any of us believe, the only reason why any of us want anything to do with God is because he came after us first. 
He revealed himself first. He revealed himself in creation. He revealed himself through the miracles that he did. He revealed himself through his word. He's revealed himself through his son. If he had not revealed himself, not only would we not know God, we'd have no desire to even pursue if there was a God. He loved us first. Now that phrase, no one is wise, literally can be translated speaking into the air. Now, think about this. If you were driving down the road and you saw someone on the side of the road speaking into the air, what would you think? Think, man, that lunch bucket's a few fries short of a Happy Meal, right? And that's what you're going to think. Like, that dude's cracked out. You know, I used to work downtown Flint. I saw a lot of people speaking into the air in downtown Flint. You know, a lot, a lot of random occurrences. I know Rick can testify. He's probably seen his fair share being a police officer. But the deal is this. That phrase means speaking in, into the air. And so when it says no one is wise, he's saying we're all just wandering life like we're speaking into the air. Because to live life according to our sinful nature, it's ludicrous. It's insanity. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor, look at him, and say, you crazy. You crazy. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, you ain't getting off that easy. You crazy too. <laughs> You're crazy. Because to live life apart from God is insane. It's absolutely insane. But that's how each and every one of us, from the moment we're born, seek to live our lives. The scriptures are telling us that we are like this because of our sinful nature. It's not just foolish. It's insane. And the reason why it's insane is, number four, is because our own hearts deceive us. Our own hearts deceive us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart's the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Think about what Jeremiah is saying. Our hearts are the most deceitful of all things, even more deceitful than the devil. Why? Because your heart will convince you things that are not good are good. Your heart will tell you everything it wants to tell you so that you'll keep doing what you want to do. So you'll justify your behavior. You'll justify your actions. So you won't feel bad about the sin that you're living in or the sin in your own heart. The Bible will describe it like this, that we like, everyone likes to do what's right in their own eyes. So we're deceived by our own hearts. Why? Because they're desperately wicked. Verse number five, temptation begins in our own hearts. James 1.14 says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. How many of you like blaming the devil for all the things you do wrong? Oh, that was the, the devil made me do it. That was the devil. No, it wasn't. It was your heart. It was your heart. If you're tempted to steal, it's not because the devil set you up. It's because you have greed and thievery in your heart. If you commit adultery, look at pornography, or cheat even emotionally, it's not because the devil tripped you up. It's because you have lust in your heart. If you have a bad temper, it's not because the people around you are just annoying and they provoke you. It's because you have unbridled anger in your heart. If you struggle with lying, it's not because of anything more than you have cowardice and dishonesty in your heart. All temptation comes from your heart. Think of it this way. The devil can't tempt you with what's not already in you. The devil cannot tempt you with what's not already in you. All he does is draw out what's already there. 
I know I'm hurting somebody. I'm up here wounded. <laughs> I'm going to need some crutches. Come on, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And why is he able to do that? It's because we're sinners. Romans 1.30, we don't have it up on the screen, but if you read, Paul's talking about how we descend into evil, how we descend into wickedness. He says our hearts are so bad, we even commit or come up with new ways to sin because the old ways just aren't good enough. And what happens because of sin? Number six, sin brings a destructive curse. You can go back to the very beginning in Genesis 3. What do you see? You see everything gets cursed. Human relationships are cursed. People start killing each other, start fueling, fuel, fueling with each other. Human relationships, especially between men and women, are cursed. Now, rather than unity and harmony in marriage, you have dysfunctional relationships. Sexuality is perverted. Society is perverted. Even nature itself. You realize that God gave authority over the earth to mankind. He said, he said to govern the earth. All authority over the earth has been given to mankind, and when we sinned, we cursed the earth. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up to the present time. You realize that that earthquake that hit Morocco that killed 3,000 people happened because of sin. The hurricanes in Florida and in the Caribbean happened because of sin. All of the devastating fires that we're reading about happened because of sin. It's all the result of sin. And we brought it into the world. Now, the other devastating effect that sin has is that number seven, sin makes us slaves to the devil. In Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us that we are slaves to sin. We're slaves to what we obey. And so since we are born into this world as sinners, we're helpless to follow our sinful nature. Satan capitalizes on that to use against us to do his bidding and to do his will. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, Paul calls Satan something specific. It says, Satan, who is what? He is the God of this world, little g. We know God is supreme over all things. Yahweh God is supreme over all things. But Satan has set him up, himself up as a God in this world because he can control it through the sinful nature and the sinful ways of our hearts. And he blinds the minds of those who don't believe. Satan works to blind us, to keep us blind, to keep us in that state where we're digging deeper and deeper ourselves into sin through deception, through lies, capitalizing on the darkness in each and every one of us. And he continually works to uh, lead us into sin so that we don't come to the truth. Why? Because Jesus said the truth does what? It sets you free. So he works to blind us. That's why we're so deceived. Our hearts deceive us. Satan deceives us to keep us stuck. And this is a big deal because in number eight, God and sin don't get along. Contrary to what the world would have you to think, God and sin don't get along. Habakkuk 1.13, talking about the Lord, he says, but you are pure and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? God can't stand the sight of evil even in all of its forms, big and small. Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that light has no fellowship with darkness. So if you think about it, when the lights come on, where's darkness go? Disappears. But when the light dims, where does darkness come? It surrounds. Light and darkness can't have fellowship, just as Jesus and the devil can't have fellowship. God and sin cannot occupy the same space. James 4.4 says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Who's the God of this world? It's Satan, right? So to be a friend of the world is to be a friend of who? Satan, right? And what is in, to follow Satan's will? He says, I, again, I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, 
you make yourself an enemy of God. If Satan is the God of this world, then to be a friend of the world, meaning to, in how you think, how you act, how you believe, what you pursue, like if you're pursuing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, if this is what's dominating you, it makes you a friend of the devil because that's what he wants from you. And if you're a friend of the devil, you are a friend of the world and an enemy of God. And a slave to the power that Satan has in this world. And Satan does have power. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, talking about what Christ accomplished on the cross, tells us what power the devil has. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Aren't you thankful that Jesus broke the power of the devil? But look what power the devil had. He says he had the power of what? The power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Satan has the power of death, and how he enslaves us is by utilizing that to strike fear in the heart of every human being. Fear is the primary motivator that causes us to self-protect, self-medicate, and really worship ourselves in all ways. When we follow our fears to not depend on God, but to depend on anything else, we're playing right into the enemy's hands. And as sinful human beings, we have enabled the enemy to do the one thing he wants to do in all of us, in all the world. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. All the evilness, all the wickedness, all the confusion, all the darkness that you see in the world, guess whose fault it is? It's our fault. It's humanity's fault. And so the question I have for you to think about is, think about this. Would a just, a righteous, a holy God just stand by and let all that happen without doing something about it? Can a God who can't stand evil, who is righteous and holy, stand by and watch all this evil happen without doing something about it? And the answer is no. Number nine, sin has a consequence. Romans, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. So that word wages is an odd word in our vernacular today, but if you still get a, a paper check or a W-2 at the end of the year to file your taxes, it'll say wages, tips, and salary. Wages simply means is what you earn. And so what Paul's telling us here in Romans is that what you earn because of your sin, your wages, is what? It's death. And we know from Scripture there's more than one kind of death. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes what? Comes judgment. So you have both physical death and you have spiritual death that the Bible calls judgment. So the old must die. The young may die. We're not guaranteed any amount of time in this earth where life is a privilege. Your next breath is a privilege. But one day you will pass away. And when you do, you will stand before Almighty God, that righteous, just and holy God. And the result of sin's existence and the curse in this world, the curse on you, is judgment. It's judgment. Jesus said in the last day when people stand before him, he's going to tell the wicked sinners to depart from him. Matthew 13, 42. He says, the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the book of Revelation, we see the smoke of their torment goes up before the Lord day and night without, without fail, failure, without any relief. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot con uh, touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Beloved, physical death is not all there is. 
There is a judgment coming. There is a spiritual death coming. And the God who is righteous, the God who is just, is also El Roy, the God who sees everything. Nothing escapes him. He sees it all. You can't pull a fast one on God. You can't run from his gaze. He sees and he knows everything. And here's the sad but real truth. Since judgment is coming, and we know it's coming for sinners, this world is so broken. Matter of fact, some of you, you know people, and maybe it's you here today, your life feels like a living hell. But for some, this is as close as to heaven they'll ever see. This is as close to heaven as they'll ever see. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is what? It's broad, and its gate is wide for the many... Do you realize that more people are going to hell than are going to heaven? Why? It's because the way to hell is the easiest way to live. The easiest way to live is being your own God, living according to your own desires, your sinful nature, living according to your own wisdom. And beloved, that's how the majority of people choose to live every day. And Jesus said, because of that, this world is going to come to a close. And when it does, that sin is going to separate us from God. Light has no fellowship with darkness. And here's number 10. We can do nothing to change it. We can do nothing to change it. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. And our sins sweep us away like the wind. See, compared to the goodness and righteousness of God, his standard, that's the standard. Even the smallest amount of sin is enough to bring the judgment. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about if my favorite candy was a pack of Whoppers. Anybody like Whoppers in here? My candy was a favorite, my favorite candy was a pack of Whoppers, and I was so excited to get this pack of Whoppers, and I'm opened it up, and I'm tasting my favorite candy, and then all of a sudden, maybe I stumble a little bit, and a Whopper falls out. I'd probably 10-second rule that thing, pick it up, blow it off, you know, okay, we're good, and I'd eat it. But if it fell down in a pile of poop, there ain't enough 10-second rules in all the world that have me draw that out of a pile of poop, because it's poop. Right? It, if I got this and I was so excited to, to get a brand new box of Whoppers and I opened it up and somebody dropped a little turd in there, you know, it might be the, the same size, the same shape, the same color, but how many of you know it ain't the same? <laughs> One turd in a brand new box of Whoppers spoils the whole thing. Spoils the whole thing. Did you know that's the same with our sin? It's the same with our sin. James, the brother of Jesus, said in his book that if you break God's law, even in the smallest way, it's the same as breaking all of God's laws. One thing is enough. But here's the thing about us and how deceitful our hearts are. We think we're so good that we can just hand God a pack of Whoppers with a turd in it and that he'd accept it. You understand that's what religion is? If all of us, if our righteousness is like filthy rags, What's religion? Religion is trying to convince God we're good enough for his love. It's trying to convince God that we're good enough for his blessing, for his favor. And so we do all these things to try to get on God's good side, and all it is is just handing him a pack of Whoppers with some turds in it. 
It's filthy. It's disgusting. Like, who do we think we are that we can approach a righteous and holy God with soiled goods and expect God to accept it? This is a fact we can't escape. If God is the source of life and everything good, and you die in your sins, you will die separated from all that is life and good. And there's nothing we can do about it. There's not enough good in the world that we can do to change it. On a serious note, who really does like Whoppers? Logan, you're the first hand I saw. You can have it. There you go. That's catch. I checked in the box to make sure there's nothing in there. (laughs) Just to be sure. But that's the bad news. Now here's the good news. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, just as Abraham should have had to have killed his son in God's command on Mount Moriah, Jehovah Jireh provided a lamb to take his place. And just as we should have to stand before God and pay the penalty for our sins, Jehovah Jireh provided a lamb to take our place. His name is Jesus. He's the lamb of God that takes away our sins. And he satisfied our sin debt before God so that rather than being guilty, we could be not guilty. Ephesians 1, 7 says, God is so rich in his kindness and his grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. You realize that's why he died. And so there, there could be a sacrifice so pure, so good, offered on our account that God could accept. Nothing in this world, it's all cursed by sin. Nothing in this world is good enough to offer God. So what wasn't a part of this world came into this world to be the offering on the world's behalf. Romans 5.8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You realize you, didn't, you couldn't get good enough to earn God's love? And he loved you anyway. He loves you anyway. And he's pursuing you. And he came into the world to die for you when you were still a sinner. Romans 5.10 says, Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still what? While we were still his enemies. So we all were born into this life, a friend of the world, enemies of God. Jesus came into the world to die for us while we were his enemies so we could be saved through the life of his son. How many of you know of any battle situation where the opposing army is going to come in and rather than fighting you, they die for you so that you can become part of their army? doesn't happen. But this is what God did in our place, did on our behalf. And he didn't just die to pay what we owe God, to, to pay the penalty for our sin. He took our sins upon himself. He took all the brokenness we have in this world upon himself so that he could cover our sins. He could cover our sins with his love. Look at Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. This is what Jesus took on himself in the cross on our behalf. It says it was our weaknesses or our sicknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows. It was our emotional suffering and our mental illness that weighed him down. We thought it was a trouble for, or a punishment from God for his own sins, verse 5, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. That word whole is the word shalom. This is completeness. This is perfection. This is lacking nothing. Like he took it all. He took our sicknesses. He took our emotional suffering. He took our physical suffering. He took our rebellion, our sin. He put it on himself, and he was whipped so we could be healed. He did that so we could have what we couldn't get on our own. He did it to cleanse us. And not just to clear up our past. Think about this. Like, if we're sinful by nature, 
then if he just took care of our past, it wouldn't be long before we'd end up sinning again. How many honest people do we have in the house today that say, you still do shady stuff? Come on, this church, every hand ought to be up. Y'all bunch is no good sinners. I know y'all still do shady stuff. You, know, you don't got to confess it. You're, by not confessing it, you're confessing it. That's just basically it. We all still do shady stuff. We all, stop, we all have junk, right? And yet, he took care of it. Jesus, when he offered his blood, in Hebrews chapter 9, says that he went to the end of time to offer his blood before the throne of God. That makes everything we've ever done or ever will do already past tense to God. So when it says our slate is made clean, when the record of wrong against us is made clean, it's the entirety of our life. Your life is completely redeemed if you're in Christ. So he doesn't just forgive your past, he forgives the entirety of your life in the present moment. And he also gives us something in return. Romans 5, 17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Even greater is God's wonderful grace in his gift of righteousness. Somebody say gift of righteousness. You know, there's a gift of righteousness for all who receive it. How many of you know you have to receive it? He's got a gift waiting for you, but you have to receive it. And when you do, you'll live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Come on now. I want to live in victory. I want to live in triumph. And this is what is available through this gift of righteousness. If Jesus has taken your sin, you might still be living in the reality of this broken world, but before the throne of God, you were declared not guilty. Not guilty. You are anointed and wearing the righteousness of God. Romans 8.1 says, Now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like if you're standing before the judge and you have a litany of parking tickets, you're about to go to jail because you have thousands of dollars in fines, and you're standing there guilty as sin before the judge, and the prosecuting attorney says, You know what? I'll take care of that for you. You're legally able to go free as not guilty because your debt's been paid. That's what Jesus did for us. He takes guilty sinners and he pays the debt so we get to go free and therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later it says when you receive this gift of righteousness, sin loses its power over you. You don't have, you have the choice now to obey your sinful nature or not because of the spirit of the living God living inside of you. You're no longer slaves to sin but you're a servant of Christ who sets you free. So now though you've sinned, and one day you're going to sin again because we still wrestle in this flesh. Man, if you think about it, when God looks at you, he doesn't see how messed up you are. There's no more record. When God looks at you because of what Jesus did, he's able to look at you solely through the eyes of love because all he sees is his son on your life. He says the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.27 said, All who've been united in Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So before in your sinful nature, if all of our righteousness was like, what, filthy rags, now in Christ we have new clothes. And those clothes are bright like the sun, shining and glorious, bathed in the glory and righteousness of God. Psalm 103.12 says, He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. 
Micah 7, 19 says, once again, you'll have compassion on us. You'll trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You realize that God doesn't even remember what you did. That's why he doesn't accuse you. There's no memory of what God did. Often people will call this the sea of forgetfulness. You're cleansed. You're made new. Your slate's been made clean by the blood of Jesus, and it's clean for all time. And that's why we can, we can be secure in his love. You know, in human relationships, we have to wonder, if I mess up, are they going to still love me? Not so with God. 1 John 4.18 says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. God's perfect love removes any doubt we have that we'll ever be on God's bad side ever again. If we have fear, it's for fear of punishment, and that shows we've not fully experienced his perfect love. His perfect love casts out all fear. When we recognize what Jesus has done and what we have in Christ, there's no more fear of standing before God and having judgment. This is what Martin Luther called the great exchange. Martin Luther was the reason why there's Protestant and Catholic churches. He was a Catholic priest who saw a bunch of shady stuff going on in the Catholic church, so he posted a letter of protest on the church door and spawned off the Protestant uh, denominations. But he called this moment, this thing that Jesus did, he called it the great exchange. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. And this is where the prophet Jeremiah gets the concept for the name we're going to look at today. It's Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. As the nation of Israel was under judgment, Babylon was coming in. They had rebelled against God. They forgot the name of God. They turned their back on God. They had worshipped false gods. They were indulging in sin. So God sends Babylon in to conquer the nation. But in the midst of their judgment, the prophet is given a prophecy of the time Messiah would come and things would change. And here's what he says in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. He says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I'll raise up a righteous descendant is there any righteous no but he's righteous when i will raise up a righteous descendant from king david's line who will bring a king who rules with wisdom was there any wise no but he'll be wise he'll do what is just and righteous throughout the land and this will be his name the lord is our righteousness and in that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. That name, the Lord is our righteousness, is the Hebrew word Jehovah Sidkenu. Say that ten times fast. No, just kidding. But Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. And he continues to talk about how the Messiah is going to bring restoration, that out of their rebellion would come their redemption. And you and I, beloved, we couldn't be righteous on our own. We needed a Savior because of our sin. We were rebellious, but he came and became our righteousness. You can't be righteous on your own, so Jesus became righteous for you. So when you stand before God, God doesn't see your sin, but he sees his glory. Come on now. In Jesus, we are reconciled to God, adopted into his family, and redeemed by his amazing grace. Come on now. Jehovah Sidkenu. He is our righteousness. But the deal is, this gift of righteousness is not automatic. Even though Jesus has already paid the price, it's not automatic. You have to receive it. 1 John 5.12 says, Whoever has the Son has life, but whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. If you want the gift of righteousness, you have to have the Son. 
You have to have the Son, a relationship with the Son, to have the righteousness of God applied to your life. Do you have the Son? Well, Pastor Joey, how do, how do you have the Son? Good thing you asked. I appreciate it. John 3.36 says, Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. If you reject Jesus, you're rejecting His gift of righteousness. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. If you love him, you'll walk in relationship with him. But it requires that exchange, your sin for his righteousness. And there are only two options in life. There's life or death. Life is found in Jesus. Death is found in your sins. And so how do you know you have the son? You've got to trust him and obey him. 1 John 1.9 it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You might have to ask your spouse a thousand times to forgive you for a thousand things. You have to ask God once. And I'll cleanse it all. I'll erase the whole record. You ask his forgiveness and he will cleanse you. And then secondly, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. For it's by believing in your heart you're made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. What's he saying? He's saying what's inside needs to come out. It needs to come out. If you really believe it, you're going to live like you believe it. Like you all believe these chairs are going to hold you. That's why you're still sitting down. If you didn't think your chair was going to hold you, you'd be up in a quick second, right? If you believe Jesus is Lord, that he's been raised from the dead, you're going to live like you believe it. It's going to come out. You're going to tell people about it. You're going to talk about it. He says, believe in his name. Believe what he did for you, and you will be saved. The beautiful thing about that word saved is it has multiple layers, but it can mean to be delivered, to be made whole, and also to be healed. You'll be saved from your sins. You'll be delivered from that bondage to the enemy kingdom, and God will begin that healing work to heal what's been destroying you. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord gives us his righteousness ultimately to heal you of your greatest need, and that's a life apart from God. He wants to come in that you'd have life and life more abundantly. Let's bow our heads for prayer as we begin to close. I'm go ahead and turn the lights off and enter into this attitude of prayer. I just want to close with this thought as we're thinking about what God has done and how he's given us his righteousness. As Israel was leaving Egypt, God laid down all these plagues on, Israel, on Egypt to set Israel free. He led them into the desert place. And the first place they got to, they found some water, but they couldn't drink it because it was poison. So God had Moses throw in a wooden log, a tree, to purify the waters. The waters became new, so now instead of life-destroying, they'd be life-giving. Beloved, those poison waters in the desert represent all this world has to offer. This life is like a desert. There's nothing but death and destruction, and all the water it offers is poison water. It might taste good on the lips for a moment. It might cool your tongue, but it will kill you. If not in this life, it will in the next. And just as God had Israel throw in a log into the water to purify it, God took another tree and put it on Mount Calvary, to purify the waters of this life so that we'd be filled not with poison, but with life-giving waters. 
Jesus said in John 4 that those who believe in me will have a spring of living water bubble up within them as life begins to overflow. Waters that heal, waters that strengthen, and waters that restore. In that place in the desert in the book of Exodus, God reveals another name. He says, my name is Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you. God says, if you trust me in the desert, if you follow me, I will heal you. And his healing is twofold. Just as sin's effect in this world was twofold, sin cursed our physical reality and it damned our spiritual reality. So the blood of Christ, the healing that Jehovah Rapha wants to bring today is going to bring not just spiritual healing as the Lord gives us his righteousness, but also can bring about physical healing. And I just believe this is God's heart for us today, that that there are some here that you need to begin a relationship with God. There needs to be this aha moment right now where you say, God, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of dragging my feet. Today, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to trust in Jesus. And what Jehovah's Kenu is going to do is he's going to take your sin off of your account and he's going to put the name of Jesus on your record. He's going to clothe you in his righteousness and you're going to begin experiencing that spiritual healing, the ache of your heart that you know there's just something not right. There's something that you're looking for you just not been able to find it you're going to discover it in Jesus today and he's going to begin this work in your life and for some of you you need to begin that spiritual healing before you ever experience the physical healing but God wants to bring healing and I still believe that just as he healed when Jesus was walking on this earth he still is interested and does healing today And some of you, you have a relationship with God, but you're just battling a physical condition, a physical issue. We want to lift you up in prayer as well and just trust in the name of Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you, to bring about that healing. In Psalm 103, 3 through 4, it says, He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. It's the sacrifice of Christ that makes healing possible both spiritual and physical healing. And so the question you need to wrestle with today is do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are your sins forgiven? Have you placed your faith and trust in the Lord? There's nothing we can offer God that's of any value. But David writes in Psalm 51, there's one thing we can give God he'll never reject, and that's a broken and repentant heart. That's a heart that says, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize my need. I recognize I'm helpless to do anything about my life. My life's a mess. I've been trying the best I can, but I've made a mess of my life. God, today, I'm going to give this mess to you. I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you lead it. God, I'm going to let you take it. I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live the rest of my days for his honor and glory. And if that's you here today, I'm telling you, God is going to throw a party in heaven unlike anything you've ever seen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Joey, this is my moment. I'm tired of living another day without knowing my sins are forgiven, knowing that I don't have a relationship with God. I want a relationship with God. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, pray for me? I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
Pastor Joy, pray for me that I have the boldness to accept Christ, that I would be, have the faith to believe. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you. Lord God, you saw the hands that were raised. God, we know you're already beginning the party because just admitting the truth is a pathway to freedom. And God, I just pray for them right now, those that raised their hand, and maybe those that wanted to, that were maybe too timid to do that. God, that right now you give them the faith. Now, to make that proclamation, to make that declaration, to take the exchange that you've offered, that they would give you their sin and receive your righteousness. And I pray, God, that the moment they pray this prayer with me this morning, God, that you would so invade their life and fill their heart that they would sent, they'd feel the change. God, that they, would, they just wouldn't be able to feel the same. You begin to break all the hardness in the heart, all the doubt, all the discouragement, all the depression. God, all, all, the, all the negative self-image. God, it would just begin to shatter off their life as they recognize that what was dead is now alive. What was lost is now found. What was blind is now able to see. God, and I just pray you'd open their eyes, their spiritual eyes, Lord, to see you afresh right now in the name of Jesus, God. And we just celebrate with them even now. If you're here and you raised your hand or maybe you didn't and you were supposed to, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And in just a moment, you pray, you declare this with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God's going to do a work in your heart right there where you are. Just pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for loving me when I was still your enemy. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sins with his own blood. Father, forgive me of everything I've done and everything I will ever do. I receive your forgiveness by placing my faith in trust in Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection. Father, make my heart your home and give me the power to live for you and honor you all my days. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, if you made that decision, you made that choice, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and we just want to celebrate with you. On the count of three, you stand. Just make that declaration. I prayed and I asked Christ in my life. One, two, three. Stand up. Stand up. Come on. Let's celebrate with them. Let's celebrate. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. Amen. Here's what the Bible says. You are no longer guilty. You are completely free. What is past is past. All things have become new. And we just proclaim this over your life. New identity, new reality as sons and daughters of the King. We just praise God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's all stand up as we go into a time of prayer. Our prayer team is going to be on, on hand. We'll have a couple people in the back and some in the front. If you're dealing with a, a health issue, if you're dealing with uh, sickness in your body, or maybe it's a mental issue and you would like prayer, we're going to call on Jehovah Rapha for healing and believe God for miracles today. As Tony begins to sing, you come. Just raise your hand and we'll come to you if you have mobility issues. But let's spend the rest of these moments just thanking God and letting the Spirit of God minister among us. In Jesus' name. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation 
visit www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.